0: Hello and welcome back to the Best Boys Podcast. Best Boy Justin here. Just wanted to let you best buds out there know that this is part two of our Gundam episode. If for some reason you haven't already listened to it, go on back, listen to part one, and then join us back here again once you're finished. And without further ado, let's get right on into it.
1: Previously on The Best Boys,
0: uh, but the third was, of course, Mobile Suit Gundam. Yeah, never heard of it. The yeah. first two
1: know all about. Yeah, of course, the famous Muteki
0: Chojin Zambot <laughs> Three. What's a Gundam? What is a Gundam? What is a Chinese fighting robot? <laughs> Quattro Bagina. Yes, that's right. I said that. Here,
1: that, that is the name of my brothel. <laughs> With the Gundams? With the Gundams. you Your giant fighting kid, robots. Are you kids watching your Gundams in there? <laughs> you watching the Gundams? Your your, your Chinese robot cartoons?
0: Oh, God. <laughs> um, we're not going to talk about War in the Pocket, which I love and is great, but... We don't have time for that it. That sounds like something you got arrested for on an elevator. It's actually about childhood heartbreak, but okay. <laughs> now, the story is centered around a mysterious item known as Laplace's, Laplace's box. I'm not 100% on that pronunciation. Laplace's? Laplace's? I don't know. <laughs> Laplace's box is also the name of uh,
1: my brothel. Okay, well, your brothel can only have one name, so figure it out. Well, the second name is for when it gets shut down for like food violations and then gets re-you're
0: serving food? Well,
1: you get hungry. Uh, Anyway,
0: disgusting!
1: expectations, human beings leave Earth to begin a new life in space colonies. However, the United Earth-Sphere Alliance gains great military powers and soon seizes control of one colony after another in the name of justice and peace. The year is after Colony 195. The year is after Colony
0: 195. If you watched Toonami in the early 2000s, then you're probably fairly familiar with this timeline. While there are only two installments in this particular timeline, it is notable for being the entry point into the Gundam universe for many Western viewers. It certainly was for me. And you mentioned earlier it was for you, also, Best Boy Dan. Also me, for yeah. sure. So this is, a, this is a big one, and that's why we're talking about it after Universal Century. Um, this is, of course, after Colony, It uh, and more importantly, Mobile Suit Gundam Wing. Um, Best Boy Dan, uh, you had a question for me about this one.
1: Oh, yeah. So I was curious, of all of the Gundams that had aired at this point, why do you think that um, Toonami picked this one to share with Western audiences? I don't
0: think they necessarily picked this one in particular. I think this was more of the one that was current, so it was the one that was available. I don't remember. I know they did air Mobile Suit Gundam at some point on Toonami. I don't remember whether it was
1: before or after Gundam Wing. Well, you keep talking. I'll look it up. You'll find it (laughs) out. Um, Because we are going to be doing a Toonami episode. We are. Like, spoilers for the future. And I definitely have. Yeah. Uh, So, Gundam Wing aired March 6th of 2000 on Toonami.
0: Yeah. And um, originally aired in Japan April 1995. Um, So, it did air on Toonami about five years afterwards. Do you have when it aired...
1: yeah, oh, this is wild. Okay, go for it. Um, So, let's see. Uh, It started airing in 2001, Mobile Suit Gundam, the interesting. original. But they had to pull it off of the air because of September 11th.
0: Yes, that's true. Yeah, okay, interesting. All right, so then Mobile Suit Gundam Wing was the first uh, one that they aired on Tsunami. Why they chose this one, I don't know.
1: Yeah. Uh Wing Wing was the first one, yeah.
0: Yeah, I don't know why. It was not the first um to air in the United States. Mobile Suit Gundam Wing, uh Mobile Suit Gundam had aired in the United States, uh, but not on Toonami, uh, at some point before this. Uh so it wasn't the first, but it was the first that had any kind of impact. So like Gundam Wing was the first to really, really hit Western audiences in the way that it got them interested in Gundam as a franchise. Um in Japan, it's known as New Mobile Report Gundam Wing. I don't know why. That's just a thing that I had in my little facts list, so now it's in your ears. Um, it was the first Mo- uh, Gundam show to have any meaningful impact within the United States. Uh, the original Mobile Suit Gundam and a couple other shows had been released in the U.S. Wing was the first to enjoy a widespread fan base, uh, like Best Boy Dan said. It aired on Tsunami in March of 2000. Uh, after a week... Gundam Wing became the highest rated show on Toonami. Um, It was edited for content uh, on Toonami, but ran uncut during Toonami's midnight run. Uh, And most of that content that was cut out was just scenes of, like, a lot of violence. They changed the name of, um... Like, uh, 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 one of the characters named Duo Maxwell, his nickname was, like, the God of Death... But they for *Toonami*, they changed it to like the God of Destruction. Um, I love these donuts. Yeah, yeah. It which was like it, it's very, stuff like that.
1: Very uh, for kids kind yeah. of stuff.
0: No, not even that. It's just like they <laughs> they removed a lot of the excessively violent parts of *Gundam Wing*, which *Gundam Wing* has a fair amount of. Like the main character blows up his own Gundam like three or four times. Like it's just a thing that he does constantly. Um, but the director. Uh, uh, Masashi Ikeda and the character designer Shuko Murase had previously worked together on Ronin Warriors, which oh. I know you're familiar with. Yeah, that's another uh, Toonami staple. Yeah. I love Ronin Warriors. And this, the reason why this is important is because Gundam Wing was the first show in the franchise to enjoy a wider female fan base. And that was thanks Ooh. to its attractive male character design, something that it shared in contact uh, in uh, context with Ronin Warriors. This is the so-called bishonen. uh uh trope where you have
1: attractive male characters. I remember the lead of uh Gun and Wing had those sexy green eyes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So this is what this is, you know, it sounds
0: silly, but that's the reason why this show enjoyed a wider um response among female viewers, not just in the West, but also in Japan. Um had cute cute boys. Cute boys Sold. sell shows. Sold. Yeah. Um, but basically, the for those of you who aren't familiar, which you should be, but if you're not, <laughs> uh, in the distant future, mankind has extended its reach to space with clusters of space colonies located at the Earth-Moon Lagrange points. That is a scientific term. I tried to look up what it means. Um, I didn't succeed. It has something it, to do with orbital stability. It means anime. There's five of them. Moving on. Um... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, The nations of Earth have organized together to form the United Earth Sphere Alliance, which uses its military might to oppress the colonies. Now, this oppression includes the assassination of pacifist leader Hiro Yui, uh, which leads the colonies to abandon the principles of pacifism and turn to armed resistance against the Earth. This resistance takes the form of Operation Meteor, a plan set in motion by five rogue scientists who each develop a unique and extremely powerful mobile suit known collectively as the Gundams, due to their Gundanium armor, which we talked about a little earlier. Um, And each scientist personally trains the pilot of the Gundam they've designed, and in the year after Colony 195, the Gundams, along with their pilots, are sent to Earth, unaware of each other's existence. Their mission is to directly attack the organization of the Zodiac, referred to as Oz, the Alliance's premier military wing, in order to rid the Alliance of its weapons and free the colonies from its oppressive rule. Throughout their struggle, they find an unlikely ally named Relina Peacecraft, heir to the pacifist Sank Kingdom, who finds herself particularly drawn to our protagonist, Hiro Yui, not to be confused with the pacifist leader who got knocked off. His name is an alias. Um,
1: And they go from there. Also, she's part of a... Pacifist movement, and her name is her last name is Peacecraft. I mean, it's not subtle. <laughs> um, she is a interesting
0: character. Um, for those of you who are wondering, I'm sure a lot of you watched, you know, Gundam Wing on Toonami growing up. I definitely did. Does it hold up? And the answer is sort of. So uh, I watched, I did a rewatch of Gundam Wing, and I thought, like, my main thing going into this was, like, hey, this is the show I'm gonna watch. In the dub version. Like, because I remember I watched it as a dub, you know, growing up. So why would I not watch it as a dub now? And the answer to that is that the dub is
1: bad. Um, the I, It's funny because, like, this is definitely, like, a rose-tinted glasses moment. Because, like, I remember enjoying it as a kid. But also, like, I didn't know any better then. <laughs> right. Well, part of the problem with this is that the
0: dialogue in this show in general is not great. Right. So when you dub it into English, it gets even even worse. Yeah. So, like, the voice actors themselves are not bad. Like, the voices are fine, but, like, the conversation just feels, like, clunky and weird. It doesn't always make sense. And so, like, does the story hold up? Absolutely. It's your same, it's your Gundam wing. You know, it has the same story beats it always did. It's interesting. It's a little silly at times. But, like, watch the sub. Don't watch the dub. Um, trust me on that one now next up in the uh, after colony timeline we have mobile suit gundam wing endless waltz taking place in after colony 195 again Uh, this was released as a three-part ova in 1997 with a theatrical compilation movie releasing in the following year takes place immediately following the events of mobile suit gundam wing i won't give a synopsis since even the premise of the movie gives away the uh, the events at the end of the show but it's more of the same. If you liked Gundam Wing, you'll like Endless Walls.
1: And you've definitely seen like the cover art for this because this is yeah. the one that has like the the Gundam with the wings on it.
0: Yeah. So this one basically has like a Gundam angel as its cover art. So like, I don't understand why, but like for some reason the the main Gundam in this in this movie has wings that are like not like mechanical like flying wings, but they're like bird wings with feathers. Sure. And. They don't ever really explain it. But it just happens. Yeah. Gundam, anime. Gundam, it's an anime, it has wings. (laughs) Moving on. All right, next up we have the Future Century. This is the FC. So we've got FC Year 60 takes place during the 13th Gundam fight. We've got Mobile Fighter G Gundam.
1: Question. Answer. So with all of these timelines, do they actually reference the timeline within the show themselves?
0: (laughs) Sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. And we'll get into that a little bit later on about the shows that don't. Uh, In this case, the timeline is mentioned but it's not super important what's more important is that it's the 13th gundam fight that's the more important part of this uh timeline part what this does timeline that section. mean so um we'll get into what that means that this is basically uh, okay so this is mobile fighter g gundam you may or may not remember this from toonami i watched this on toonami and it was fine. this was
1: toonami's later years so i think this is when i had kind of dipped
0: out yeah it, it was fine I don't like G Gundam. Some people really love G Gundam. It's kind of one of those black and white kind of deals where either you love it or you hate it. Um, It was notable for being the first non-SD alternate Gundam timeline. It was released in 1994. Um, And it kind of abandoned the realism and militaristic setting of the UC, opting for a more superhero robot type approach to the Gundam franchise, which is probably why I like it less. but it was heavily inspired by Hong Kong style uh, martial arts movies, which were popular at the time. Interesting. Yeah. So, uh, do you what, see
1: that like just in the fighting style? Absolutely.
0: Or? Yeah. Okay. Because one of the one of the things that sets us apart from other Gundam shows is that the Gundam is not piloted by like a pilot using levers and foot switches and pressing buttons and all that stuff. Like the the Gundam is piloted by a dude in like a a skin suit. That reacts to his movements. So, like, so, he moves in the cockpit, like, he throws a punch, and the Gundam punches. So, similar to um,
1: Pacific Rim.
0: Yeah, similar to Pacific Rim. I think also similar to one of the Zoids timelines as well, where there, the there's this... a
1: few mecha shows that do that.
0: Yeah, so that's one of the ways in which it differentiates itself from the other Gundam timelines. But also, um, you know, different because of kind of like the general premise of it. So, within this timeline, most of mankind has abandoned Earth and lives in space colonies that correspond to the former nations of Earth. And instead of fighting wars with each other, these countries agree to hold a Gundam Fight tournament every four years, with a res- representative of each country fighting in one on one battles until only one fighter remains. That fighter's nation earns the right to rule all of space for the four year period until the next Gundam Fight. Uh, the story takes place in the beginning of the 13th Gundam fight. So it's literally the plot of the end of Yu Yu Hakusho. I mean, kind of, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and in addition to the uh, 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 to that, the, the story kind of takes place with our protagonist, Domon Kashu, a uh, fighter for Neo-Japan and the pilot of the Shining Gundam. Uh, in addition to his mission to win the tournament on behalf of his country, he is tasked with tracking down the experimental Devil Gundam which was uh, renamed the Dark Gundam for American Toonami viewers uh, because of weird censorship stuff. Um, Now, this Gundam was stolen by his older brother, Kyoji, and in the process left their mother dead and their father under arrest and placed in a cryogenic state. Don't you hate when that happens with your siblings? Can't stand it, best point, Dan. Now, this, uh, this show, to be entirely honest with you, it doesn't do it for me. Um... But I understand well, honestly, why people it like it. it
1: sounds really interesting to me. It
0: has very silly mecha design. So, like, the Gundam for the Netherlands is literally a Gundam with a fucking windmill for a chest. <laughs>
1: <laughs> like, I wish I was making that up, but what? I'm dead serious. Oh my god, this sounds like so accidentally racist they just have like a mexican gundam with a sombrero it it
0: gets so much worse i forget i forget if it's the spanish or like the american gundam but like one of the gundams is just a bull like its whole body is a bull's face and like it's so bad like (laughs) for you best buds out there just google the term windmill gundam and you'll know what i'm talking about but like (laughs) Oh man, it's so
1: bad. Oh, that is a nice nice Gundam there, yeah.
0: Yeah, like so for me, like one of the big things that I get into Gundam for is the kind of the 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 actual robot designs. Uh and because like do. mills
1: don't do it for no,
0: me. No, I'm not super into windmill robots. That doesn't do it for me. Um but you know, like I said, this is one of those things where people either love it or they hate it. So like maybe you'll love it. I don't know. I, 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 I kind of
1: want to check this one out. Kung- I
0: tried to do a rewatch of it fairly recently. I think it was like a year or two ago that I tried to watch it. I couldn't do it. I, ma- I didn't make it past like the third episode. Kung Fu Gundam tournament fighting arc? like On paper, sounds great. <laughs> sounds great. I, I You know what? Listen, I encourage you to give it a shot if you're interested. All right. Uh, maybe let us know how it goes. <laughs> uh, but uh, that's, that's it. This is the only entry into the Future Century timeline. There is no movie. There's no OVAs. This is it. It's just Mobile Fighter G Gundam. Next up, we have the After War timeline. This, uh, this comprises, again, just one entry. This is going to be After War Gundam X, which takes place in the year after War 15. Gundam X going to give it to you. X Gundam X going to give it to you. Hey, best buds. Best boy Justin from a future timeline here. Just wanted to let you know that we could not get rights to that song. However, I will give you a five-second opportunity to play it in your heads right now. Thank you. Um, this one aired for 39 episodes beginning in April of 1996, was originally planned for a full year, but was cut short due to declining viewership. Uh, it takes place 15 years after the end of the seventh space war set in a post-apocalyptic future where the weapons of the last war have fallen into the hands of civilians and shady organizations in an effort to prevent the past from repeating itself. Jamil Nyate, I don't know how to pronounce that. Just fucking do with it what you will, uh, puts together a crew of vultures to search for new types and protect them from being exploited. In the meantime, the forces of the old government unify as the new united nations of Earth and war seems imminent between them and the Space Revolutionary Army. Now this one kind of returns to the the kind of story we get with new types in a way that we didn't really get with the after-colony and future century timelines. So both of those kind of largely ignored the idea of new types in a way that this and other Gundam shows will not.
1: So question, is the seventh space war a thing in anything else, or is that just like the setting for this one? That's just the setting for this one. Like I said, because this is a a distinct timeline. Okay, so 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 it's not like a branch off of the timeline. It's its whole own thing okay <laughs> we're Basically. gonna get into that on the next one <laughs> okay <laughs> oh god it gets so much more complicated um, we're only and, dipping our toes <laughs> yeah
0: so the next timeline we're going to talk about um and this one is where it starts to get complicated uh and that is the correct century timeline The correct century takes place in an extremely distant future, where the universal century, after colony, future century, and after war timelines have all converged into one. And like, that's part of the like reason... Like in a, like, into the Spider-Verse kind of way, or... Mm, it's unclear. Okay. <laughs> um, and that's why we covered those four in particular first. Gotcha. Um, so... Mm-hmm. It's it's complicated. We're just gonna talk about it. We're just gonna. It only has one entry, and that is Turn A Gundam, uh, which takes place in correct century year twenty three forty five. Um, it takes place after the Earth has suffered multiple cataclysms and its population has been reduced to simple steam driven technology. Now the Moon, however, is populated by humans who left the Earth after a massive war long ago, living in a technolog- technologically advanced lunar colony until it is deemed suitable to return to Earth. Now, as part of this process, the protagonist, Lauren Shehak, I forget how it's pronounced, is uh, sent down to North America to determine whether or not Earth is fit for resettlement. Him and his comrades spend two years living on Earth and becoming attached to its people. They decide to confirm that Earth is suitable for resettlement. However, to their surprise, this resettlement comes in the form of a mobile suit offensive, sparking a renewed conflict between the moon and the Earth. At the time of this first attack, Lauren is taking part in a coming-of-age ceremony held at a shrine, which is centered around a massive humanoid statue. During the attack, the statue shatters, revealing a mobile suit inside. Oh, how convenient. Right? Uh, Lauren is able to pilot the ancient mobile suit and manages to fend off the attackers, but the community that he has been living with is drawn into an increasingly violent conflict with forces from the moon, with Lauren torn in between. Now, Turn A Gundam is interesting in a lot of ways. First of all, you have the fact that all of these previously mentioned timelines come together in one. Um, And that is basically, you basically arrive at that conclusion because there is at least one element from each of those timelines that is present within Turn A Gundam.
1: Interesting.
0: Uh, The other reason why Turn A Gundam is interesting is that it has very unique mobile suit designs. So the main core Gundam of this show has a fucking mustache. Oh, yes. Yes. So it's got like a Fucking giant, like, hipster, huge robot mustache. Um, and that's something you just don't see in any other Gundam show. <laughs> I wonder um, why. Yeah, this is one of those very unique, off-the-beaten-path, kind of weird Gundam shows um, that I encourage, you know, Gundam otakus who are looking to branch out, give this one a shot. Um, next up, we have something a little bit more common a little bit more towards the the mainstream of gundam fandom we're going to talk about the cosmic era uh timeline Mm -hmm. we're starting in cosmic era year 70 with mobile suit gundam seed which was released in october of 2002 Now this one takes place in an alternate timeline where tensions have arisen between normal humans known as naturals and genetically altered superhumans known as coordinators. Uh, Repeated conflict and hate crimes lead to the emigration of almost all coordinators to space colonies called the Plants. Earth is divided into two major factions, the Earth Forces and the natural human supremacist group Blue Cosmos, which boasts the slogan, For the preservation of our blue and pure world. Spoiler alert, they're super fashy. Now, Tensions between Earth and the plants eventually lead to war, with Earth forces striking first, destroying a colony known as Junius 7 with with a nuclear bomb. The plants retaliate by bombarding the Earth with neutron jammers, which bury themselves deep into the Earth's crust, halting all nuclear reactions and also long-range radar and radio, causing much of the Earth to go without electricity or communication. In the midst of this conflict, we join our protagonist, a young coordinator named Kira Yamato, who we talked about a little bit earlier. Um, On Heliopolis a colony of the neutral orb union where natural humans and coordinators live side-by-side in harmony Everything is not as it seems though as the orb union is developing five advanced mobile suits and a carrier battleship for the earth forces in secret The plants find out about this and send zaft their military force to attack the colony with the goal of stealing the mobile suits during the attack Kira seeing his friends in danger hops aboard the Experimental Strike Gundam and fights back against the Zaft forces, who manage to steal the other Gundams in question. Now, while Kira manages to fend off Zaft, the colony is destroyed in the process, and he and his friends escape aboard the Experimental Warship Archangel. They then depart on a journey to Earth, constantly hounded by Zaft forces, which include Kira's childhood friend, Athrun Zala. Now, you may notice that there are some... Uh, How should I put it? Story beats in common with the original Mobile Suit Gundam. Mm. Uh, Namely, the protagonist jumping into this Gundam in order to protect his friends, escaping aboard an experimental warship. Yeah. Uh, And that's not lost on most people who are familiar with Gundam as a series. This is kind of one of the modern retellings of the Gundam story Um, but it manages to do so in a way that doesn't feel recycled. So you don't end up feeling like, like if you watched Mobile Suit Gundam and then Gundam Seed back to back, you wouldn't feel like you've watched the same story twice, but you would definitely notice some similarities between the two. Mm -hmm. Um, it's an interesting story. It actually, it dives pretty deep into, um, in a way that Mobile Suit Gundam never really did the the ways in which fighting a war as a teenager would affect you mentally. So, like, in Mobile Suit Gundam, you end up with a lot of these scenes where, like, Amuro is kind of just being a bitch and then, like, Bright slaps the shit out of him and everything's fine. But, like, in this story, you have a lot of, like, Kira ends up making decisions in his personal life that are clearly colored by his experience fighting a war as a teenager. Um, Yeah, having to take a human life at 13 years old. Yeah, exactly. And then you get a lot of this. This also has a very strong uh, message about racism and about bigotry because you have this kind of dichotomy of the natural humans versus the coordinators who are basically, um, for lack of a better term, an evolved version of human beings um who live in space so like you you it's very it's not thinly veiled it's a very in-your-face kind of narrative about racism and bigotry that this story has to tell um it's a good show uh and it has a sequel and that is going to be mobile suit gundam seed destiny which takes place in ce year 72 this was released in october 2004 Uh, In December of 2005, Sunrise aired a special episode that remade the last the events of the last episode of the show. Uh, So it's kind of like an OVA that retcons the last episode.
1: It's interesting. Yeah, is it like vastly different?
0: I actually don't know. I haven't seen the OVA. Oh, interesting. So I've only seen the original ending. Um, I would like to see the OVA retconned ending side by side just so I can know, Um, but I haven't had that opportunity so far. Now. A major criticism of this show was that it shared many similar story beats with Gundam Seed, oftentimes just placing new characters in the same situations that others faced in its prequel. Um, Despite this, Seed Destiny was incredibly popular in Japan, selling over a million DVDs, topping the charts with its soundtracks, and winning the Anime Grand Prix in both 2004 and 2005. Um, So even though it was... I'm not going to say... It wasn't like a carbon copy of Gundam Seed, but with different characters. But you also wouldn't be... for like You would be forgiven for maybe having the feeling that that might have been a little bit what happened. Um, basically, the story takes place two years after the events of Gundam Seed, with many of the characters returning to, fa- to face renewed conflict between the Naturals and Coordinators. Seed Destiny brings us a new character named Shin Asuka, a young Zaft pilot with a grudge against the Orb Union where his family was killed during the events of Gundam Seed. Uh, the show also introduces Phantom Pain, a terrorist group controlled by Blue Cosmos, which seeks to fan the flames of this conflict. Um, if you like Gundam Seed, watch Destiny. It's you know it's more of the same. It's good. Uh, it's highly critically acclaimed. Um, if there were a lot of elements about Gundam Seed that you didn't like, Seed Destiny won't do you any good. It's more of the same and that's it for the uh, for the uh uh cosmic era those are the only two entries uh the only two entries we're talking about anyway there are a bunch of OVA's um that we're not going to talk about for the reasons that we mentioned earlier do you know what we are going to talk about the fact that this episode of the
1: best boys is sponsored
0: by loot crate
1: Loot Crate is your premier nerd subscription box service. Not only do they offer Loot Anime Crate, but they even have a special Gundam box. So whether you're a hardcore Gundam nerd, an anime addict,
0: or call some other pop culture fandom your home, Loot Crate has a box for you. Check the link in our show notes and use promo code BESTBOYS at checkout for 15% off your order.
1: And remember, happy happy looting!
0: (laughs) Next up we have After Generation. This is one that I am less familiar with, uh, but I am going to do my best to give a decent synopsis of it. Um, the The entry that we're going to talk about here is Mobile Suit Gundam Age, which takes place in after-generation year 115. It was released in October of 2011, and this one's a little confusing, to be entirely honest with you. The story takes place over uh, four arcs, um, with the first three each introducing a new protagonist and coming together for uh, all of them come together for the finale. Um, it takes place in years AG 115, 140, and 164. Uh, the third and fourth arcs take place in the same year and they follow uh, protagonists Flit Asuno, Asemu Asuno, and Kio Asuno, respectfully. So that you read that correctly, that is three generations of the family, which is how this story is told. Um, In AG-101, the 101st year of the advanced generation calendar, a mysterious entity known at the time only as UE, or Unknown Enemy, attacks and destroys the space colony Angel. This brutal attack becomes infamous as the day the Angel fell and marks the beginning of the 100 Years War. So we've gone from one-year wars to 100-year wars. Uh, The series itself begins in AG-108, when the UE attacked the space colony Ovan, where Flit Asano lives with his mother after they escaped Colony Angel before its destruction. Flit's mother is mortally wounded by the UE, but before dying, she gives her son the Age Device, which contains the blueprints for a powerful weapon from the past, the ancient messiah named Gundam. Uh, Flit, uh, this is my new religion, by the way. Um, (laughs) Gundam?
1: You can make a religion out of this.
0: Uh, Flit spends the next several years studying engineering at an Earth Federation base on the Nora Space Colony while designing the Gundam Age One, from the age device's blueprints. Seven years later in AG-115, Flit completes the Gundam Age 1 Normal. Just as the UE attacks Nora and makes use of it to aid the crew of the Federation's battleship Diva in evacuating the colony's citizens before it is destroyed. Determined to bring the battle to the UE for destroying his home twice, Flit agrees to serve at D.Va's mo- uh, in D.Va's mobile, squad, mobile suit squad unit, piloting the Gundam. Um, like I said, I haven't seen this one. It's one that I'm not super familiar with. Um, it does a lot of crazy timeline stuff that Gundam is known it for. It sounds
1: like an interesting story.
0: It does sound like an interesting story. There are, like I said, there are, you, each arc has its own protagonist and then they all come together for the fourth arc. Uh, I think that's an interesting way to lay out a series.
1: Um, yeah, there's, uh, I, it's one of the things I enjoy about, um, the season, like Vivi and, um, to your eternity where they're not telling just, you know, like stories with either in one person's lifetime or, uh, you know, a, a kind of like short time period. It's stories told over decades. And this is an interesting way of doing that. And I yeah. kind of like that.
0: Yeah. So like in this, in this series, you have a story that takes place over like almost a hundred years. Um, so, you know, uh, this is probably one that I'm going to give a shot after mm-hmm. I'm done Getting through Double Zeta finally, um, which I am still working on. I've been working on it since the first episode of this podcast, and I'm still working on it. It's that bad.
1: I have, since you've started this, since we have started this podcast, I have literally watched Ace of the Diamond, which is how many episodes? A hundred and something. Uh, All of (laughs) uh, Iron-Blooded Orphans, and God knows how much other things.
0: Well, that's the thing about it. Is like I I am perfectly capable of binging anime. Like
1: yeah. I, I watched
0: the entirety of Domestic Girlfriend for our <laughs> for our anime was a mistake episode. If I wanted I to, I could have.
1: I love that you're gloating about that. By the way, I'm not gloating about it. Like <laughs> if
0: I wanted to, I could have watched all of Double Zeta before this episode came out. But it's so bad. Yeah, I can't watch more than an episode at a time without just having to put it back down that's fair but eventually i will make my way to um to gundam age uh moving on next this is one that you are familiar with best boy dan we are getting into the post disaster timeline (gasps)
1: talk about this you one? can talk about this one go on all right um so as the the one gundam that i'm familiar with now having literally just watched all 50 episodes uh this is the post disaster area which takes place in pd 323 uh and this is features uh just iron-blooded orphans right yeah there's no
0: ovas as far as i'm aware
1: it released in october of 2015 um And yeah, so while all Gundam shows have a baked-in message about socialite ills to some degrees, uh, Iron Blood Orphans is one of the shows that does the most to tackle these topics head-on, addressing themes such as war, slavery, child soldiers, poverty, neocolonialism, and corruption. Almost every Gundam show features child soldiers. However, instead of just glossing over the fact the protagonists are teenage warfighters, uh, Iron-Blooded Orphans attacks the theme head-on in a very visceral manner. These shows are basically an indictment of the evils of capitalism. Um, and they they do it through a lot of different ways, just through the structure of the world mm-hmm. with Gallerhorn and kind of how that's all set up to the kind of like deals they have to make with like tewas and the Turbans and uh, all, all the like shipping routes in order just to to be able to get ahead you can see that this world is structured very similarly to ours in the sense that in the capitalist society the rich are meant to hold on to their power and Mm -hmm. keep getting richer while the poor are meant to stay down and be poor
0: and one of one of the most important things i think uh one of the most important ways that they demonstrate this i think is the way in which they they differentiate between what are essentially child soldiers. Like you are initially introduced to the main characters of this show as they are, which is child soldiers. They have no choice other than to fight to put food on their tables. But the universe expands and you are introduced to what is referred to as human debris. And these are basically children who are slaves. They're not, it's not like just the regular child soldiers who get paid to fight. They are property of the various um, you know private military corporations that they that own them. Uh, and they have to fight. They don't have any choice. Um, yeah, they've and,
1: essentially sold their lives into work.
0: Or are sold. or are sold, not, yeah. n- not even necessarily had any agency over it. And I think that's one of the most important things where we're talking about the way that this kind of world is shown to be corrupt capitalism at its height is... Where you not only have children who have to fight in wars to feed themselves, but also children who end up fighting in wars because they have become the property of some corporation or another.
1: Yeah, um, they get like really deep into the whole idea of like human debris. Um, they so one of the things that makes them useful too is because they don't have any rights or anything like that. They can do this kind of surgery on them uh, yep. to get the. Uh, 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 Alea remember? viana <laughs> Alola vinyaska yes <laughs> the Al- vina um which is essentially like a little like volcano thing on their spine yeah uh, and the more you get the more you are like in tune with uh your mobile suits or mobile workers but the trick is that it's an exceedingly dangerous surgery right um so like the main gundam pilot from the show um mikazuki has had three of them and he's just like insane
0: yeah which one of the one of the key differences between him and some of the other characters is that he has chosen to have this surgery done three times which a lot of the other characters choose to have this surgery done on them but the human debris the which is what they refer to basically as the characters who are slaves they don't have a choice so they have had the surgery forced forced upon. upon them and in some cases it terminally cripples them.
1: Yeah, in which case they become industrial waste, which is also just, like, the most horrid moniker to give a human being. Yeah. Um, And they kind of get into all those things. Um, So, interestingly enough, uh, Iron-Blooded Orphans uh, will willingness to face these themes head on, uh, earned it some criticism from the Japanese broadcasting ethics and program uh, improvement organizations. Despite this, the show was mainly received positively uh, as it was a refreshing take on many of the Gundam tropes that were beginning to feel recycled. Iron-Blooded Orphans takes place over 300 years after the Great War between Earth and the outer colonies known as the Calamity Wars. Um, Mars has successfully terraformed and colonized, uh, but its residents crave freedom from the government of Earth. It's a very, like, um kind of like America, Great Britain situation where they're yeah. sending this um, thing called like half metal to like Earth and basically Earth just kind of keeps them underfoot. And yeah. same with other colonies too. Like there's colonies like outside of the Earth sphere. Absolutely. Closer to the moon. And
0: one of, one of the most interesting parallels, like you, as you brought up between this story and like the whole American Revolution story is that in this story, you don't have this whole like faster than light communication like, if you want to send a communication between Mars and, and Earth, it takes, like, an hour or two. Yeah. You can't get between Mars and the Earth without traveling for a month. It takes three weeks, yeah. Yeah, so, like, this is very much in that same vein where the metropole, the 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 colonial power, while it exerts influence over its colonies, is still a month away of any
1: meaningful show of force. Mm -hmm. Uh,
0: And that's kind of where we pick up this story. Right.
1: So it starts with uh, a Martian uh, noblewoman named Kudelia Ina Bernstein, who hires uh, civilian military contractors named the Krise Guard Security, uh, or CGS, to escort her uh, as she goes to negotiate the independence of the Martian nations, uh, Krise, from Earth. However, Gallahorn, Earth's privatized military organization, attacks CGS in its effort to crush the independence movement. The adults of CGS flee almost immediately, leaving the teenage foot soldiers of their 3rd Army division behind to fight and die as decoys. All hope seems lost as the mobile armors of the CGS are no match against Gallahorn's superior mobile suits, but the 3rd Division's commander, Orga Itzka, uh, orders a young pilot named Miyazuki August uh, to battle aboard uh, hastily repaired legendary uh, mobile suit Gundam Barbatos, uh, which is not pronounced Barbados as I first read it. No, it is not. <laughs> <laughs> um, after managing to repel Gallahorn's attack, Orga and uh, Mikazuki dispose of the adults who... <laughs> The dispose of the adults is a is a nice way of saying that Miyazuki <laughs> caps a motherfucker. <laughs> he really does. He really does just fucking murder a bunch of dudes. Like half of Miyazuki's job is just walking in, pulling a gun out of his coat, and shooting people, and he
0: does this many times yeah. throughout the
1: show. Um, this is
0: another thing that the Japanese uh, ethical broadcasting organization had a huge problem with. I by can the way, see is why. him
1: constantly walking into rooms and just murdering, just people. shooting people. Um, but uh, yeah, so they uh, dispose of the adults and reform CGS, uh, turning it into a mercenary company known as Tekedin. Uh They accept the job of escorting uh, Miss to Earth. As their first mission, but obviously Galahorn has uh, ideas otherwise. That, yeah. Uh, and that's like, that is a very, since I watched this, I can kind of flesh it out more, too. Um, it's a very, like, that is the first three or four episodes, yeah, basically. It's, it's
0: it's, that's the foundation upon which the, sh- the rest of the show is built.
1: It is. So, w- I think to back up a little bit, too, um... For this episode, the reason that I watched this show was Best Boy Justin recommended this to me as, like, if you're not a big Gundam person, to get into it. Right. And, And I can see why. There's a lot of kind of universal stories. It doesn't, you know, when we go back to the beginning of the episode, when I talked about the things that, you know, are kind of things that would prevent me from watching Gundam in the future. It doesn't deal too heavy in any of those things. I think right. it's a great entry point into the series uh, to show kind of, like, what it can be, yeah. right? Absolutely. And one of, one of the important things about
0: that is that it manages to do so without abandoning the core tropes of the Gundam franchise. And so, like, you still have... Obviously, the child soldiers—that's a huge part of this. Yeah. But also, you get your mass protagonists, you get your kind of freedom from oppression movements. Mm-hmm. You have your corrupt federation government. Mm-hmm. You know, this this story—it's—it's it's unique among other Gundam stories, but it is still at its core fundamentally and in in many ways a very pure distillation
1: of a Gundam story. Yeah, and I think what I. I, there's a lot of things I found interesting. Uh, we were talking about this earlier. I think that the um, representation of relationships in it is especially unique for Gundam, but absolutely In anime in general. Yeah, there's really only one heteronormative relationship in it, and I'm not going to spoil who that is because right. I think it, they have a really funny reveal for it. I love the reveal <laughs> of this relationship. Um, there there actually that said there's also a surprising amount of comedy in
0: this show. It is hilarious. That's another great thing about <laughs> this show is it's I would funny.
1: not have expected because it's so like Well it it's it, deep you know again, we,
0: we talked about this the when we were talking about rom com's the last episode, but like it needs that. So, yeah. like, anytime you have a show that deals with this heavy, dramatic, high-stakes kind of story, you need a pressure release valve. And yeah. this show does it really well. It, you have a... Because, There's, like, dark humor. There's, like... But also there's slapstick humor. So, like, this show, it mainly follows the story of a bunch of
1: kids. They're teenagers. Well, They're goofy.
0: They have yeah, silly to go, jokes.
1: To go back to the thing I don't want to spoil of who that heteronormative relationship is. Yeah. The way you find out as a viewer is that one of the members of Tekedin who was on earth while everyone was on Mars comes back to find out that these two people have become a couple. Yeah. And he's just going around like, did you know this? Did you know this? And everyone's like, yeah, obviously duh. And he's like, But why didn't anyone tell me? Aren't I one of the guys? Yeah. And it's funny
0: because, like, you you learn that story through that character's eyes. Like, there are no hints about this for the viewer until this story arc comes about. Yeah. Um, So, like, you, uh, the viewer, are also left out of the loop until this character finds out
1: about this relationship happening. And I think that's kind of funny. Um, but going back to what I was originally saying about this is like, you have, uh, you know, another person who has, uh, polyamorous was yes there is a polyamorous relationship the best way of saying it it's I think that's a pretty accurate way of yeah. describing what their, what
0: their relationship is um, one of they, the kind
1: of main uh, relationships actually ends up being kind of like a throuple thing which yeah. I think is a very interesting take
0: it's an interesting take on the throuple because there is definitely there is a physical relationship between two of them and then there is an emotional only relationship between the other two which is an interesting way to present a relationship and it's one that you don't see often in anime or in media
1: in general. Yeah. Um, Just overall, like, that was a really interesting part of the story that I was not expecting from a Gundam show. Yeah.
0: Also, the character designs in
1: the show are absolutely The character phenomenal. designs. We were honestly, talking about all of the opportunities for cosplay the other day. Oh, uh, yeah. The, um, um, I want those jackets. Uh, but the, the characters themselves, in general, like, are... Unbelievably well fleshed out. Yeah, like, they're so good. Uh, you just, th- I will warn you, there is a lot of death in this show, yeah. and, and you don't f- get too attached yeah. to characters because, <laughs> and you feel it, and they do a good job of making you feel it.
0: Yeah, this is kind of like in a lot of ways, I've heard it described as like kind of the Game of Thrones character wise <laughs> of anime. I could see where, that. like, if you get too attached to a character, you're setting yourself up to cry a couple episodes later because people die in this show yeah. a lot and like yeah people die in a lot of other Gundam shows too and they usually make a big deal of it but like they'll kill off it, some
1: in relatively show, main characters
0: yeah they will kill off a main character with no problems at all and like it, the way they do it is so interesting because like in the other Gundam shows, in, especially like in Mobile Suit Gundam, there are moments where you lose a core character and like you have a couple episodes where the characters have to deal with it. But in this show, you lose a core character and they don't have time to deal with it because of just the urgency of the yeah. war that they're fighting. So like you have a moment to be like, oh, this character is dead and I'm super sad about it. But like also we're fighting a war. Yeah. So like we have to move on to the next thing. Like we don't have time to like have, you know, three episodes of mourning. Like we have to go. You know what I mean? And I think that is also very important when it comes to the way in which we tell this story of how war emotionally stunts people. And like you get that a lot from Mikazuki, but like
1: you see it spread to the other characters as well. Yeah. I So the last thing I want to say about this too is that what struck me as so interesting was how different the stories they tell from the first season to the second season are. Right. Because they're all about Tekken. Yeah. But the first story is, like, about the, essentially the building of Tekken and, like, you know, achieving your dreams and, mm-hmm. like, working together and, like, you know, teamwork and all, all that sort of, like, shonen stuff. And then the second season is what happens when you take that to an extreme? Mm-hmm. Like, what happens when, um you know, passion becomes hubris. Yeah. Right. And, and I, it, to like just the first season alone is a great story. Yep. The first season and the second season together are just an unbelievably, like they kind of take you all over the place with it. So you really get like, I don't even know how to describe it. Like
0: one one of the ways and I, I think it's really interesting to hear you describe the way that's that sh- the, the way the show is structured in that way. Because the when when tasked with describing the way that this show works to other people, the way that I would describe it, or the way that I have described it in the past, is overarching the overarching story of both the first and second seasons of this show is that um, it's basically a struggle against capitalism. So this mm. story is very much, you know, not even, this isn't even me reading something into the show, this is what the show is about, is an indictment of the evils of capitalism. Right. Now, the first episode, the first episode, the first season, is really, it really has to do with Tekidan and this group of kids fighting against capitalism. They're fighting against the current. They're trying to... They're trying to break free of the mold. And the second season is them, is them kind of getting it. swept along yeah. with it. I, that's so, like a good they way are, they it. they have they have evolved beyond the point where they are just struggling against capitalism, and they have become, at the same time, a victim and a a kind of element of capitalism itself. And I think that that's super interesting because it doesn't just. There are so many stories that that are told about. Capitalism bad, and it, it the way that this story chooses to tell its to to kind of rail
1: against capitalism, the way it does it is unique and very interesting well, to takes, me. It, I think you said it really well. And that it it the first season it shows you the evils of capitalism from the outside, yeah, and then the second season it shows you the evils from the inside,
0: yeah. And I think the the to me, Iron Blooded Orphans is a very important. Uh, entry into the Gundam timeline exactly for that and I really hope like so I have my fingers crossed with this we heard some whispers about this uh, maybe a year or two back uh, probably right before COVID hit that they were working on an IBO prequel um, that actually takes place during the Calamity War Um, I haven't heard anything about it since so who knows whether or not it's actually (laughs) happening or whatever the case may be but if I had to choose one Gundam timeline that I would like to see a new entry in, it would be this one. Without a doubt. Yeah, I I and I have seen at least one show from almost every Gundam timeline, <laughs> and this is the one that I would like to see more of. Yeah,
1: I I think you are right in saying that. If you're looking to if you have no Gundam experience, I think this is a really good jumping off point. Yeah, and we'll
0: get a little bit just, more into that. Just later.
1: get ready to cry. Yeah, be ready to be ready to cry.
0: Uh, Moving on, our next Gundam Timeline. This is the Anno Domini Timeline, the AD Timeline. Does that sound familiar to you best buds? Well, it should. Because this timeline represents the one that we currently live in. That's oh right. Oh my god, there's AD. Gundams? They're there real? is Gundams in the timeline that we live in. Well, yeah. there are technically because we have the ones in oh, Japan. But, uh, no. The uh, the first entry into our Anno Domini timeline that we are going to talk about today is Mobile Suit Gundam 0000 which takes place in the year 2307 AD. That's right, it's about 300 years from the future of when we publish this episode, so hopefully they'll look back on it and know that we talked about them. Um, This show was released in October of 2007, and while it was not quite as popular as Gundam Seed, Double Zero was a commercial success and was widely critically acclaimed. Uh, It takes place in the distant future where the depletion of fossil fuels has caused an energy crisis on earth. Sound familiar? I hope so. In order to solve this massive solar, uh, in order to solve this massive solar power arrays were constructed by the three major powers on earth, the union of solar energy and free nations, the human reform league and the advanced European union. They got kind of lazy naming the last one, I guess. However, This nearly inexhaustible supply of energy only benefits the major powers and their allies, leaving minor countries mired in constant warfare over fuel and energy supplies. This chaos and inequality leads to the formation of a private military organization called Celestial Being, dedicated to eradicating war and uniting humanity. They perform armed interventions against a number of aggressors on all sides, using four advanced machines called Gundams. Here we go. That's where we get the name. Uh, our main character is a 16-year-old boy from a war-torn nation called Setsuna Sei, and he is the pilot of the Gundam Exia. Uh, the three major powers see celestial being as a threat to their own military-industrial complex and unite to form the United Nations Army in order to counter their armed interventions. Now, this story um, is interesting to me for a number of reasons. First of all, we do have kind of the seeds Not to be confused with the Gundam Seed. Not to be confused with the Gundam Seed. But we have kind of the seeds of what will eventually become the full-blown indictment of capitalism that we see later on in Iron-Blooded Orphans. So the central theme of this this show, one of the central conceits, is that you have these three major uh, power blocks, and they are always at odds with each other. But the one time they can come together... uh, is when that was when their supremacy is threatened from the outside and that kind of reflects the ways in which capital tends to protect itself so the number one enemy of capital within capitalism is capital and the only time you have these major powerhouses these industrial these military industrial complexes across the globe come together is to fight against an external threat and i think that is one of the one of the core tenets of this show where the external threat is celestial being who stops armed conflict no matter who starts it. So they don't care whether it's one of the major power blocks, whether it's one of the minor countries who is acting on behalf of those power blocks in a proxy war or whatever the case may be, if there is warfare on the planet or a celestial being comes in to intervene. And that is something that these major power blocks, regardless of who it's directed at, cannot abide. And uh, I think that makes it an interesting story. Um, like I said earlier, it was not as popular as Gundam Seed, um, but Gundam Zero Double Zero I think is definitely uh, not beneath anyone's notice. I think you should give it a shot, especially if you are uh, a fan of Iron Blooded Orphans or if you're a fan of Gundam in general. It's just it's got really awesome Gundam designs. Again, like the other shows, it hits all of it hits all of the major Gundam story beats. You get your mass protagonists. You get your evil federations. Um, it's a Gundam show through and through. Um, moving on from there, we have uh, Mobile Suit Gundam Double Zero: the movie, Awakening of the Trailblazer, takes place in 20, uh, 2309 AD, um, released in September 2010. Reviews of this movie were mixed. Uh, critics felt that the plot was a little too confusing, but they praised the spectacular mech battles and acknowledged that it served as the perfect conclusion to the double O universe. Um, and I agree with that. The plot is a lot to follow. There are a million and one characters in this show. Uh, it's, I would not do well with it. No, <laughs> this would be a tough one for you, best boy Dan. There are a million and one characters in this show and it is so hard to keep track of their various motivations and stuff. Um, it's set as a direct sequel to Gundam Double Zero. It takes place two years following the end of the events depicted in the show. Um, and much like some of the other Gundam follow-up movies, if you liked the show, you'll like the movie. If you didn't like the show, the movie doesn't bring anything new that you will enjoy. Um, and that's really it for the uh, Awakening the Trailblazer. I don't want to get too much into it because if I even talked about the plot, it would give away the end of the series. Um so we will instead move on to our next timeline uh which comes with a little bit of controversy this is the build fighters timeline <laughs> And, uh, you know, some of you nerdier, uh, best buds out there will note that there is some controversy regarding whether or not the build fighters timeline is even a thing. Um, or whether or not it's part of the AD timeline. Now it is my position and the official position of the best boys podcast that it is, (laughs) (laughs) that it is a a separate (laughs) and distinct timeline. Uh, and that's because, and I think I have a valid reason for this, um, And that's because it references all of the other timelines without actually placing itself within any of them. Uh, And this includes the AD timeline, which it references because some of the models that are built in the Gundam Build Fighters series are from Gundam 00, which is technically located in the AD timeline. So it is referencing that timeline, but it also references just about every other Gundam timeline, because Gundam models in this show exist from all of the Gundam shows that have been released before it. Um, So unless it takes place after 2314 AD, which is the latest entry of the OVAs in the AD timeline, which it doesn't seem to, it would have to exist as its own standalone timeline. However, none of the shows within this timeline actually give us a date. So we don't ever really know where it's set. I'm guessing it's, it's not so important to the story. It's not. It's not, and we're <laughs> going to get into that. The first entry into this uh into this timeline, this quote-unquote timeline, is Gundam Build Fighters, which was released in October of 2013. Now, the story of this show centers around a young Gundam plastic model builder named Sei Iori. However, in this world of in this world Gunpla aren't just models that you build and look at. Uh, through the use of so-called Plovski particles, these Gundam models can come to life and be piloted in battle. Say dreams of one day becoming the champion of the Gunpla Battle Tournament. However, despite the fact that he is an exceptional modeler, his piloting skills are very weak, and he can never make it past the first round of even his local tournaments. One day he meets a strange boy named Reiji, who has an exceptional- who has exceptional piloting abilities despite having never heard of Gundam before, and the two of them team up to compete in the tournament using Sae's customized Gunpla, the GAT X-105B Build Strike Gundam. Now, this show is not at the top of my list. And I'll explain why. I enjoy Gundam because of its kind of military drama, its uh, militaristic realism. These are the things about Gundam that I enjoy. And Gundam Build Fighters is definitely produced for an audience that is not me. It's produced for a younger audience who is primarily interested in the Gundam model kit building world, which I am interested in but I'm not at that kind of age where this story would
1: appeal to me. However, counterpoint. I feel like of all of the series we've talked about, this is the world you would most like to live in.
0: I mean, for sure. Like if I can make my Gundam models come to life and battle with them, absolutely. Um, but even if they're just a pretty cool thing that I build sometimes, that's something that I enjoy as well. Um, But all of that being said, some of the things that I... There are some things about this show that I do enjoy. And first of all, that would be the model building aspect of it. I, you know, as we've talked about in past episodes, I do enjoy building Gundam models. It's a thing that I'm into. I do it not as often as I wish I had time for, but I do do it. Um, The other thing about this...
1: Cat and I bought you a Gundam model that still hasn't
0: been built. Yeah, so. well, listen, okay. So I was planning on building it, but then uh, the plague happened. And also, a question: What is that one from? That one is from Gundam Wing. The oh, okay. one that you got me. You got me the um, uh, the Gundam Epion from Gundam Wing. That is the that's the red one. That's the red <laughs> one. Yes, it's the Gundam that. Uh, Oz builds to rival the five original Gundams that were sent down to Earth. Ah. Um, it's very cool, and I—it's my next Gundam that I'm going to build, and I promise I will build it before
1: <laughs> the end of the summer. <laughs> um, that has the like sword that like breaks apart into like a whip. right? Yes, it has like a whip section. They sword, had which is really one cool. of those at the near the end of Iron Blooded Orphans, and it always makes me think of. Ivy from um, from soul caliber soul yes, caliber and that i just that weapon's always so cool like the whip sword combo thing
0: yeah it's super cool um i love that gundam model i am going to build it the The thing about it is though is what you got me and we're gonna get a little bit more into this later you got me a master grade kit all right which is very intricately detailed <laughs> and i have only previously worked on high grade kits So it's been, I've been building myself up to building that kit because I don't want to fuck it up. All right. Um, But anyway, moving back into Gundam Build Fighters uh the, one of the other things i really enjoy about this show aside from the gundam model kit building aspect of it is that it features a ton of cameos from characters of other gundam shows so like you get amado ray and char Aznable who kind of appear in the background but also ramba ral who is a, a fairly important character in the uc timeline he is a main character of this show and that is one of the reasons why i say that it has to take place in its own separate timeline because like he only exists in one timeline. So, like, if right. you're going to have him in this timeline, there has to be, it has to be separate. Anyway. um, You also get camera uh, cameos from Hiro Yui. You get some cameos from other, like, more minor Gundam installments, like the OVAs. So, like, you get cameos from, like, War in the Pocket and, like, um, Gundam uh, Stargazer and stuff like that. Uh, so I think it's really cool. It's kind of a, it's an experience for who are people who are like old heads of the Gundam series uh, fandom, like kind of like myself, where like, yeah, maybe you're not super interested in the core story element of this show. But it has a lot to offer in the form of like nostalgia factor, fan service. Yeah, it's got like your fan service, but not to be confused with like your kind of like yeah. nudity fan service. <laughs> it's more of like fan service and like oh ramaral like it's yeah. kind of funny cameos
1: to... and that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, it's kind of funny to see ramaral instead of being an antagonist or like a a flawed side character. It's kind of fun to see him as like a silly uncle, which is kind of the <laughs> the the role that he plays in Gundam Build Fighters. Is he's kind of like a, a goofy older male like um kind of role model for the main character which i think is really cool so like people still and it's also weird because like people still refer to him as lieutenant so like that's his rank when he's in gundam uh mobile suit gundam is he's a lieutenant and like you'll see other characters refer to him as lieutenant rao and it's like kind of funny because like he obviously is not like a military person in this timeline, but, like, they they kind of just, like, play it off. Right. Like, he, this is who he is, you know what I mean? Um, it's great. I, I definitely, like, you know, at first it was hard for me to get into, but, you know, for old Gundam heads out there, if you're looking for something goofy, something light, you don't want to get into something super heavy, maybe give it a shot, you know? It might be something, it might be exactly what you're looking for. Um, following this, we have Gundam Build Fighters Try. Try which was released in October of 2014. This is a direct sequel. It takes place seven years after the events of Gundam Build Fighter. Uh, It has an all new cast of core characters and also features updated rules for the increasingly popular sport of Gunpla Battle. So like in this series you have, in the original series you basically have the builders, they build models and they fight them against each other and that's how the story goes. But in Gundam Build Fighter Try, you can also have, like, some of the support vehicles from Gundam shows. You can build, like, tanks and transforming Gundam models. So, like, it kind of, it's an expansion on the Uh, universe of Gundam Gundam Build Fighters. Yeah um super interesting uh, it, it, again not my not my kind of not my cup of tea for what i would want from like a main gundam story but some for something like you want to watch as a side piece something also you seems like see. a good thing to get like kids interested and in and that's exactly what this show was designed for it was designed to expand the popularity of gundam like build gundam models basically right so like you you would get basically what it did was it not only increased the sales of the Gundam models that were already on the market, but it also allowed them to create Gundam models specifically of this show. And it's interesting because the Gundam models in this show are kit-bashed models of already existing Gundam designs. Hmm. So, like, it allowed them to take very popular kit-bashes of other Gundam models. What is a kit-bash? A kit-bash is when you take pieces from multiple different model kits and combine them into one. So, it allowed them to do that and make an official model kit of kit-bashed parts, which is interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um, moving on from Build Fighters Try... We have Gundam Build Divers. This is the most recent uh, kind of set of shows in this universe, Uh, was released in October 2019. It takes place in the near future where the Gundam franchise uh, is at its peak and the popularity of Gunpla is soaring to new heights. A new virtual reality massively multiplayer online game called Gunpla Battle Nexus Online is made in Gunpla and uh, GBN which is the abbreviation for it players can upload themselves and their gunpla online through the virtual space and battle with players from across the world in the game itself the player assumes the role of a gunpla diver and each year a special tournament called Gunpla Force Battle Tournament is held to prove who is the best the story revolves around Riku Mikami a 14-year-old junior high student and an admirer of famous gunpla diver Kiyoya Kujo He and his friends uh, Yukio and Momoka love Gundam, and uh, they play GBN together. However, his own life changes as he meets a mysterious Gunpla Diver named Sara, uh, as strange events take place in the GBN with the appearance of mass divers. Now guided by his new allies, he forms their first Gunpla Diver group, Embarking on epic adventures with his friends to see who is the best fighter in the GBN world, which would soon bring unforeseen forces to Gunpla.
1: Spoiler, it's Kirito. It's Kirito, no. <laughs> I actually, I haven't watched this show.
0: This is one that I, that's that been on my list because out of the shows in the Gundam Build Fighters timeline, this is the one I think would interest me the most. Um, but I
1: haven't had a chance Gundam to watch Gundam so Sword far. Art Online
0: yeah I mean that's basically right that's what it is hopefully they don't get trapped inside but I mean even if they do that might make a good show too yeah Um, but that's it for uh, there is a sequel to that too I'm not going to talk about it because I don't know anything (laughs) about the first one so why would I talk about the second one Um, but we will move on to our next timeline which is the Regild century (laughs) Now, if you thought that the turn A timeline was confusing, congratulations. This is Welcome to the, the, more confusing the last timeline.
1: timeline that we have to talk about today, This is right? the last
0: one we're going to be talking about. Uh, this one is the subject of a lot of controversy. To pay, to make a long story short, um, where to place this timeline in relation to the UC and CC timelines? This is up in the air. With even the creator and the production company publicly disagreeing on the matter. So, um, the placement that seems to make the most sense to me is to have it in the very far future of the UC timeline, but without the convergence of the AWAC and FC timelines that the C, uh, that the correct century has. So basically the way I look at it, which is not the way that everyone looks at it, because this is confusing is that this timeline takes place in the very far future of the UC, uh, Some people look at it differently. This is just the way I look at it. Um, If you disagree with it, hit me up. I don't care. Hit me up on Instagram or Twitter whatever it's fine get in my menchies uh the only entry into this very confusing and controversial timeline is gundam Reconguista in g which was released in october 2014 that's a name right uh, it was created for the celebration of the 35th anniversary of gundam and is also the first gundam tv series to be written and directed again by Yoshiyuki tomino since turn a gundam um now, in the Reguild Century 1014, 1,014 years after the end of the Universal Century, a young member of the Capital Guard named Belri uh is charged with protecting the Orbital Elevator Capital Tower. He encounters and helps capture a highly advanced mobile suit, the G-Self, and its pilot, Ida Surgan. Uh, while defending the tower from space pirates called the Pirate Corps... Uh, feeling a connection with both the G-Self and its pilot, Bellry is able to control the mobile suit, operable only by a select few. The G-Self is captured by, uh, cap- recaptured by the Amerian spaceship Megafauna, and Belry subsequently helps fend off attacks by the Capital Army, a militaristic faction from the Capital Tower advocating for rearmament, led by Colonel Kumpa Rusita and its eccentric Captain Mask, which, come on. Of course. Yeah.
1: Also, I, I <laughs> definitely almost just fixed Amerian to make it American. No, no, and that's the
0: thing. Like, that, that's what uh, Autocorrect is trying to do to me, too. Like, did you mean American? No, I didn't. Um, the megafauna returns to the capital territory to negotiate a ceasefire and alliance to prepare for an alleged threat from space, but the unexpected launch of an Amirian fleet causes hostilities to resume. This, um... This is an interesting Gundam show. I actually haven't finished it. I started watching it, and then it became... It wasn't available anymore, the platform I was watching it on. Uh, so I kind of need to restart and re-watch this one. Um, it's very interesting that this is the most recent Gundam show to be created and directed by um, Tomiyuki Yoshino, uh, who is the original creator of Mobile Suit Gundam. Um the one the one before that that we talked about was turn a gundam and what you kind of notice with that is that he is definitely branching out and creating some weirder more unique twists on the Gundam timeline. So like you have Mobile Suit Gundam and he worked on Zeta Gundam and Double Zeta and then you had Char's Counterattack. And then after that, a bunch of the shows were produced not by him. And then the next show that he produces is Turn A Gundam, which you have these weird, you have the Mustache Gundam, you have a strange timeline. And then after that, you have this even more kind of strange... timeline that takes place way 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 in the future um so i think it's important for that aspect of it i definitely want to finish watching it it's something that i think was very interesting um it's definitely not something that i recommend your casual gundam viewer you're kind of somebody just getting into the gundam franchise to watch because it will confuse you Uh, It will throw you off, and you will have no idea where to place it within the wider Gundam franchise. Because, like, how could you? If even the creator and the production company can't agree on when (laughs) this takes place, how could you decide where it takes place, you know? Very true. Yeah. Um, But that does it. That's, the like, we've been at it for a while now. We did it. We made it. all of the Gundam timelines. We made it
1: through all of the timelines. And we,
0: we almost didn't piss everybody off. Almost. The- I'm sure if there was one episode where people were going to get a Narmentis, I think this is probably the one. Because people are going to be mad about where I put Reconquista in G in relation to the timelines. <laughs> people are going to be mad about how I said build fighters Listen, get the zones. Nerds timeline. are always
1: going to be mad about And you it know what? I
0: encourage this. Please disagree <laughs> with me. We'll talk about it. I will engage with everybody who disagrees with me on Twitter. I've made that. It's on vid- It's on audio. You can hold me to it.
1: Earth is in trouble. Enemy attack! Enemy attack! We need the Gundams. It's here. All new Gundam Wing action figure model kits. That's a mobile
0: suit. Build your own Gundam mobile suit. A Gundam. Snap together multicolor pieces. No glue required. Extreme articulation. Pick
1: your favorite, or collect them all. Gundams are on Earth. Roger that. Gundam Wing action figure model kits only from Bandai. So we did it, we got through every timeline, and now let's talk about probably what drives more of this than anything else, and that is the toys. Uh, Justin, would you like to give us a brief primer on Gunplot?
0: I absolutely would, and so some of you uh, huge nerds out there will notice the joke that I placed in our section title a brief primer on gunpla
1: oh i get it Uh, it's a primer ahead of paint it's a paint joke it's a
0: painting joke anyway (laughs) you've heard me reference gunpla a couple times during this episode and you've also probably heard me reference it a few other times in other episodes as well because i'm a gigantic nerd um so some of you might be wondering what the heck is a gunpla let's define the term first so that we're all on the same page shall we uh gunpla is actually a portmanteau which is in in and of itself contains another portmanteau oh, because that's it's like what the deception Jap- of portmanteaus <laughs> exactly because the japanese love to shorten words like this uh it stands for gundam plamo and plamo is short for plastic model so all in all
1: gunpla stands for gundam plastic model uh they love these kind of words in japan don't they it also doesn't make any sense because plamo you get plastic model yet they cut out the model part so it's just gundam plastic yeah yeah that's why you have to like kind of break it down into two parts like that Uh,
0: but gunpla took off in japan after the release of mobile suit gundam in 1979 while gundam was originally developed in order to sell toys and action figures model kits were merely an afterthought but interestingly enough Bandai's model kits were wildly popular in a way that the action figures never really were. This is why you've heard of Bandai and Bandai Spirits, but not Clover, the toy company, because it no longer exists. Mm-hmm. However, uh, Bandai does exist, and they uh, w- produced a mobile suit kit uh, model kit for almost every suit in the series, and, including, and it included also a number of the support vehicles and battleships, so like... Every single thing they could make a model kit out of, they did. And people bought this stuff up like hotcakes. It was wildly popular. People were super into it because uh, one of the major things is the toys and action figures were kind of, uh, they were marketed towards children. But the core audience of Mobile Suit Gundam wasn't children. It was really teenagers and young adults. And these were the kind of people who would be more interested in a model kit than they would be in just buying an action figure. Cause, let's face it, teenagers don't really play
1: view
0: action figures. Like, I know you still do, best boy man, but that's okay. <laughs> that's
1: what I was just gonna say. Is like the irony of it is like how popular um, like figures have become since then.
0: Right, but in that time, figures but, were mainly yeah. for children. Yeah, yeah. But like model kits provided an activity that teenagers and young adults could do. And then at the end of it, they had something to show off. Right. And that's why Gunpla was wildly popular, whereas the, the toys and model and uh, 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 action figures really weren't. Now, the original model kits that were produced by band were somewhat crude compared to the kits that you might see today. Parts can only be cast in one of three colors, and models had very few articulation points and only very simple details. Unlike most model kits today, they also required glue to assemble. Now, model kits today are much more detailed, with intricate color separation, panel lining, expanded articulation, and a wide variety of access- accessory kits, alternate gear, decorative decals, and in some cases, even LED light kits. Um, they also no longer require glue to assemble, which expands the accessibility of these kits to inexperienced and veteran model builders alike.
1: Honestly, growing... So growing up, uh, my step-grandfather was like, into building... like tiny little planes and boats and things like that. And he would get me kits like that all the time. Uh, and and I would never do them because they were all like, you had to glue them right. together. And that's always been like the thing that has not gotten me into model building kits is because I'm like, I, I don't have the patience to deal with glue.
0: Yeah. And that is actually one of the, the that, that has a lot to do with the heritage of Gundam plastic model building is that, and people don't think about this a lot, but like, Before the internet and TV. (laughs) What's that? And, you know, stuff like that. One of the ways in which people would pass the time, one of the major hobbies was model kit building. So, like, people would build model planes and tanks.
1: They also walked 10 miles through the snow to get to school every day.
0: But it's important (laughs) because when you think about it, one of the major hobby companies from Japan that produces a lot of the... They don't make the model kits, but they produce a lot of the tools, paints primers all of the adjacent stuff for model builders they're called Tamiya. and they prior to the release of gundam plastic models made a lot of the um, planes and tanks and all sorts of other like military models um so they are very much a connected industry to this tamia is where i buy all of my paints from they uh, they make almost all of the tools that i use um, so this is not—it's not like Gunpla just kind of sprung up out of nowhere. It has a heritage, um, but uh, the, the the kind of invention of these kits that don't require glue, that don't require you to um, to have an intricate knowledge of building model kits—that is where Gundam set uh, Gunpla set itself apart from once it evolved
1: from its origins as just a typical model kit. And, um, and is that just a matter of like better manufacturing processes, better materials? Oh, God, we can get into this all day. Best boy, <laughs> <point>. damn yes. <laughs> oh <God>. um,
0: <laughs> so, really, what this has to do with is the evolution of better plastics, um, better injection model, uh, injection molded systems. Right. So, like what you have these days that you didn't have back when the original model kits were released are something called polycaps. Right. And what these polycaps are, they're basically polyethylene joints. That allow you to kind of stick a ball and socket kind of model mm-hmm. together where the
1: arm can move. It's You don't have to glue it in place. So I'm going to let some of my non-anime nerdery out. Um, one of the things I've been really into lately is mechanical keyboards, which is a terrible hobby. Don't get into it. So expensive. <laughs> um but what's interesting about that is one of the things that has made that take off is different sorts of plastics in use and because it is something where it's two plastic joints rubbing against each other the friction that's caused and the type of material you use is very important so i would imagine like to have that sort of articulation like you couldn't do it with like the kind of rigid plastics that could crack like, back in the day and you needed things like um wiper uh, palm kind of plastics that have kind of a lubrication to them almost
0: yeah like i I could break out a, a model kit for you right now and you'll be able you would be able to see the difference between the types of plastic that are used to mold the design pieces the armor and the weapons and the type of pieces that are used to make the joints it's very different and that is what kind of lends itself to the way in which these model kits were able to be assembled without glue Uh, And that was really key for the evolution of Gunpla beyond the initial, you know, I don't want to say primitive, but the initial like kind of less detailed forms of model kits that you had initially. Um, the, uh, The kits of the past were kind of produced in a wide variety of scales with varying levels of detail and articulation. But today, most kits fall into one of a few different grades or different categories of, of kits. Uh, and I'm going to talk about a couple of them. Um, the first one that I'm going to talk about is a term that we heard earlier on in the episode, and that is SD. These are the super deformed Gundams. It's kits. just it blows it's, my
1: mind that that's like what they call them. It's
0: wildly <laughs> insulting. Like if you called me super deformed, I would be bananas insulted. That's all. Um, I'll call you from now on. <laughs> but uh, these are basically like little chibi versions of Gundams. They're not set to any sort of scale. They have kind of short bodies with big heads and they're like kind of like supposed to be very cute looking. Um, they're not very posable, but they are very affordable. Running you about $10 a kit, they're very beginner friendly and they're recommended for children. So like if you want to get a kid a thing to do in an afternoon, get them an SD kit. They can snap it together in an hour or two. It doesn't require anything beyond like the kind of nippers that you use to separate the parts from the trees that they come on. Um, and they have little stickers and you can put little custom decals on them. It's a fun little time. Um, moving on from there, we have the HG high grade kits. Now these are kind of where you get into your more serious model building. These are one 144th scale model kits. They are the most commonly produced and built kits and will generally run you between 12 and $25. That's relatively affordable. Yeah. They have a fairly, they have fairly decent posability. Uh, and while the detail is somewhat limited, they are perfect for beginners, Um, they come with stickers again, like SD kits. You can put little stickers on them. Um, there's nothing wrong with HG kits. HG kits are great. Um, they are, uh, they, they are pretty valuable also for more experienced model builders who want to practice painting and customization without breaking the bank. That's what I'm using them for. Currently I'm practicing my little hand painting skills and obviously I don't want to do that on the... you know, the master grade beautiful kit that you got me. I don't want to like mess it up with my shitty painting skills. Uh, So I'm going to buy like a $15 HG kit that I can paint and mess up and it's fine. Um, Moving on from there, we have the EG entry grade kits. Uh, These were originally released in 2011, and the line was rebooted in 2020. Entry-gate kits are also 1-144th scale, but they have been incredibly simplified compared to HG kits. Uh, They have reduced color separation and articulation, and they are marketed at beginners and don't even require nippers to remove the parts from the runners. You can literally snap them off with your thumbs. Now, with a $15 price point, I don't recommend them at all and in my opinion a beginner model builder is much better off with either an SD or an HG kit personally i remember i recommend an HG kit for builders 15 and up um just because like at $15 You're not really... Oh, I thought you
1: meant like 15 years old. No, no, no,
0: no. Well, also 15 and up for builders, you know, for age-wise. But like at at $15, you're not getting anything more than you would get in an SD kit, but you're getting significantly less than you would get with an HG
1: kit. So like I think the EG line doesn't have a lot to offer. Would Um, it be a good line for people who like kind of want to do it but want it to be super easy not even
0: because okay. hg kits are very like if all you're doing is cutting the parts out and snapping them together in an hg kit you could do it in an afternoon there's no reason to get an entry grade kit over an hg kit uh, i really think it's kind of it, it's something that they're pushing sort of hard especially with the uh, recent anniversary of gunplug coming up Um, They wanted to get a bunch of, like, Granddaddy Gundam kits out there that people could build in, like, five minutes or less. But, like, there are so many HG Granddaddy Gundam kits that you could put together in, like, you know, a half hour to an hour. There's no reason for you to That's the time commitment I want. Exactly. And they they cost the same as an HG kit, so why would you bother? Um, But they're out there, so I put them on the list. Now, the next kit that we're going to talk about... These are also uh, 1 to 144th scale. These are your real-grade kits. Now, unlike their HG counterparts, these pack an incredible amount of detail and generally come with a ton of decals. And one of the major differences between a real-grade kit and a high-grade kit is that your high-grade kits come with decals that are basically stickers as you know them. You peel them off the thing, you stick them on the model, and they're done. Real grade kits come with what's called water slide decals.
1: Oh, I've seen this before. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Oh, basically, I
0: would destroy those. They are incredibly difficult to use, which is why the kit that you got me is still sitting in my cabin because <laughs> I need to practice before I use them. Oh, God. They basically require you to... They're really cool, though, when they're on there. What If you can get them right the uh, water slide decals basically melt onto the model and they look like
1: painted on details. They are so so good. So speaking of that, going back to my stupid keyboard obsession, I saw someone use that kind of um, decal to like on blank keycaps. Yeah, absolutely. And they literally put every single letter, like every key legend on there. And I was like, oh my God, that looks brutal.
0: Yeah, it's, it's incredibly time consuming. It's finicky as all hell. If you mess it up, it has to be perfect. It too. has to be perfect. Otherwise, if you mess it up, you need to start again. Because well, do you want to give like
1: a brief description of what it is? So that people I mean, know basically, what we're all a
0: water slide decal is. It's a it's a decal, and what you do is you you dip it in water, and you have to very carefully. And mind you, these things are centimeters long. We're not, not talking like about millimeters, even. Yeah, they are tiny. You use a pair. You use a pair of um, a tweezers to gently align them onto the plastic, and then once they're in the ver- in a perfect spot if you're a really good model builder which i hope you all are you use what's called um, a decal setter which is a special ke- uh, chemical that you basically paint on with a nail polish brush which melts the decal onto the plastic and makes it look like it's about uh, painted on detail detail it's really really beautiful But it's an incredibly complex thing to do. Um, Which is why you don't get these kind of decals in your high-grade kits. Your high-grade kits are literally just stickers. This is something entirely different. And it's what you would really see more with an RG kit. And you also see it almost universally in a master-grade kit, which we're going to talk about in a second. But in addition to that, the real-grade kits also have... Uh, a wide degree of articulation, which is provided by the internal skeletal frame. So, you know, with a high-grade kit, you're basically just snapping an arm and a leg and, you know, a head together. With a real-grade kit, what you're doing is you're building an internal skeleton upon which you then snap all of the armor details on. And what that does is it allows for the separation of the parts uh, to be a little bit more pronounced, but you also get the same kind of articulation you would expect out of something that has its own internal skeleton.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um so it's more complex, but it uh it looks a lot better. Now, the cost for an RG kit starts at around $30 and can get up to as uh as high as about $150 for some of the more limited edition uh special kits
1: out there. And th- I have mind to you to f- imagine too, like if you go on to, like, eBay. Like, some of the, like, old ones and whatnot can fetch ridiculous. Oh, ones. yeah.
0: Well, th- w- one thing I also want to mention, for those of you out there who <clears throat> are familiar with Gunpla, I'm only talking about regular run kits. I'm not talking about premium Bandai. Premium Bandai kits are a whole nother beast, which is basically where uh, Bandai produces very limited runs of special kits oh, that great. cost ridiculous... Like, you remember... If you remember last year... When I was constantly refreshing the yeah, Bandai page. You were like,
1: "I want." there's three things I want. I'll be happy if I get
0: one. Exactly. So I was trying to get in on the Gundam Anniversary Gundam Expo kits. Um, and uh, those are premium Bandai. And you got that, one of them, right? I got two of them. Oh, you got two. Yeah, I got lucky. I got a a, a special coating Tall Geese 2 and I got a Gundam Base Limited RX-78 Gundam model um so you'll I, when i build those i'll post them on the instagram but um premium bandai kits can run the gamut from like 200 to 500 dollars in some cases i the ones that i bought are like 50 to 100
1: dollars <laughs> because i don't have that kind of money i'm curious what the like most rare
0: i mean some is. of the some of the rarest kits are literally priceless like yeah. if you get like old like master grade kits from like 1980s. You know, maybe not those. Those those ones are a little too old to be worth any money because they don't have any color separation, but like kits that only ran for like 5 years, 3 years, 2 years, you know, those are the ones that are worth the most money because yeah. you can't find them anywhere. Especially
1: if they're new in box. Yeah,
0: and Bandai doesn't ever plan to make them again, right? Now, um I uh I don't personally um by the real grade kits and that's because for me they're kind of in between i like the high grade kits because they are cheap and they're easy to work with and then i like the master grade kits for the reason that other you know experienced modelers like master grade kits now master grade kits come in a 1 one hundred scale so they're a little bit bigger than your rg and your high grade kits um but they are considered the bread and butter of experienced gunpla builders, and they are comprised of a partial inner skeleton, so they get a little bit of that uh, kind of articulation from real grade kits. Um, but they have an increased degree of technical parts compared to HG kits. They are highly articulate and very well detailed. Uh, they come with a price tag of about $30 to $50 per kit, and they provide the perfect balance of size, detail, articulation, and price point for veteran model builders. This is the grade of kit that I am starting to work my way into. But like, if you were a model uh, model kit builder who's been you know building model kits for about two or three years, this is what you're working with because they just have the best detail you can get for a reasonable price point. Um, generally... Uh, any kit that any any mobile suit design or Gundam design of any decent popularity will get a an MG uh, release at some point or another. Sometimes it'll be P Bandai exclusive, which is depressing because those are more expensive. But uh, usually you can find what you want in a Master Grade kit. Now. Moving on ahead of that, we have the perfect grade kits, the PG kits. Now these are the cream of the crop when it comes to Gunpla kits. Coming in at a whopping 160th scale, these are some of the largest, but not the largest, Gundam kits on the market. With models sometimes reaching over a foot tall. This size allows for unparalleled detail and articulation amongst model kits, some kits even having posable fingers and come standard with LED coming standard with LED light kits. A kit of this size and detail is not just a simple afternoon endeavor, with some of the more complicated kits taking over 3 weeks for veteran Ooh. builders to complete. Yeah, that's not 3 weeks for your average just a kid picking oh, up a kit. God. That is somebody who has spent years building Gundam kits taking almost a month to build a kit these guys are incredibly detailed this is the kit this that is, is like, like the showpiece yeah this is the thing that you would put on your mantle like this is what <laughs>
1: if you're a huge nerd yeah like we one, are <laughs> once you can
0: once you can tackle a kit of this, this level This is what of i detail, have above my bed yeah once you once you can hit a kit of this detail that's when you're ready to like start entering your models your custom built models into like competitions and stuff like that oh
1: is that a thing
0: oh it's a thing oh, and we're going to wow. talk about it in a minute oh wow yeah no but this uh this this is definitely not for your your beginners it's not for your casual like model builders these kits will run you 120 dollars minimum with some of the more uh intricate kits some of the ones that come with led lights those will run you closer to like 250 300 dollars um so if you make a mistake on these kits it gets costly real quick so don't start with these as attractive (laughs) as they are as beautiful as they are this is not where you want to start um this makes me kind of want to try out a high grade you should try out a high grade if you want one i i have a couple hanging out in my drawer so you Mm. let me know um but uh the, the you know these are the kind of main uh, uh, grades of kits. There are other ones. Um, you know, you have uh, no grade kits, which are basically, they're not to any kind of scale, but they are, uh, they're like kind of more accurate to the movies or shows. You get, there are, uh, is a line called mega size kits, which are even bigger than the 160th scale. They, some of them get to be almost like two or three feet tall. I think there is actually a mega size Zaku kit that is like four to five feet tall.
1: I would totally Um, put that, like, next to my front door, like the, like, dog butler statue. Yeah,
0: Yeah, the the Mega Size Zaku is super cool. I don't think they sell it anymore, but if you have your hands on one, please send me a picture of it, because they look really, really cool. Um, But, uh, you know, I just listed the six that are the most common, the ones that if you were, like, to look for a Gunpla kit on Amazon or wherever, which you shouldn't buy your kits from Amazon. There are tons of small hobby shops that you should buy from. Um, new type and Gundam Planet come to mind. Um, but this, these are the ones that you would that you would most commonly encounter. Now, uh, what are the ways in which people enjoy building these kits? It kind of depends on the builder. So some people are content to just assemble the kits and add the stickers and that's it. And that's fine.
1: Like That sounds like what I would do.
0: Yeah, like put the kit together, put the stickers on it, and it, that's it. You're done. And that's perfectly fine. Most people, most people who buy these kits, that's the way they enjoy them. Uh, some people take it a little bit further. They sand down some of the mold lines. They spray the kit with a layer or two of top coat to make it. Like, look a little bit nicer to make some of the colors pop and remove the shininess of the plastic. And then you got like the next level where builders who like to custom paint their kits to either match the colors of the models in the anime or to reimagine them in their own kind of customized ways. Moving on from there. You get uh, even people who take it even further. So you get kit bashing, which we talked about a little bit earlier, where you take parts from a bunch of different model kits to build your own custom Gundam model. Do you, so?
1: Do they generally work well together? Because yeah. like my concern would be that like parts wouldn't fit with one another.
0: So generally, not always, but generally, parts within the same Gundam grade. Will work together. So, like, so, you
1: could take an arm from one
0: and it yeah, would match with another. Yeah. Because, one. but there are some restrictions to that because these kits are made to scale. So they're made to one one hundred forty fourth scale yeah. for like a high grade kit. But say you know between different timelines, maybe Gundams are different sizes. Sure, like a so, Zaku is shorter than exactly you
1: know, like a full-on Gundam.
0: That could be different. That could be a problem you run into. But for the most part. If you're using within the same grade, yeah, you can interchange parts without too much of an issue. Interesting. And generally, if there is somewhat of an issue, there's always a way around it. So you can always customize the parts to make them
1: work the way you need you to. Know, you can always shave it down to what you need to do. Glue exactly. it in place. It's
0: like a that. matter of how far you want to
1: go into it.
0: Now, um, you know, moving further from that, you get people who scribe their own panel lines to, like, make the armor separation different. You get people who will even customize parts with epoxy resin. I'm telling you, this is why we need a Best Boys 3D printer. Yeah, Absolutely um although 3D printing is technically frowned upon in the gunpla community <laughs>
1: but, but cheating
0: uh, yeah it's it, but for some reason epoxy resin molding is not seen as I don't know it's uh, uh, <laughs> um, but there are a ton of different ways to enjoy gunpla building and there is even a gunpla builders world championship yes that's right do that's they fight we, each other was that no they don't fight each oh. other but do you remember best boy Dan do you remember when we went to Anime NYC together And there were all those displays of really cool Gundam models. Yes. That was actually part
1: of the Gunpla Builders World Cup for that year. Oh, I didn't know that. I would have paid more attention.
0: Yeah, I didn't know that at the time either. Um, I just thought they were really cool Gundam models. Um, But yeah, generally what happens is as part of the North American leg of the Gunpla Builders World Cup, the North American finalists will display their work at various cons, especially Anime NYC. Uh, there are a couple other cons. Like they, they, I think they show through like Comic-Con on the West Coast and a couple other spots. Um, oh, I hope Anime NYC happens this year. Well, they're selling tickets, so, you know. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Um, but basically, the the Gun Pill Builders World Championship is where model builders from around the world compete to custom design the coolest kits. So basically, uh, it's not just limited to North America. If you go online, you can Google last year's and the year before um just really really cool Gundam kits that you would just never think about like you, you like they take this this um these kits which are basically mass produced toys to an entirely different level custom painting custom building their own parts scribing panel lines uh, kit bashing between don-
1: tons of kits Whoa, like this one has uh, parachutes oh my god are you looking
0: at um uh what's his name <laughs> Tim Harkins Yep, Tim Harkins does amazing work with Gunpla. I wasn't gonna geek out about it too hard, but you brought <laughs> it up. Uh, that is actually my favorite, one of my favorite Gundam models. That is one of the ones that I looked at, and I was like, "This is a thing that I want to get into." Like the, he he can do crazy things with Gundam kits, but
1: um, <laughs> you know, even if all you they wanna, look, real, I'm looking at them right now. They're unbelievable. Yeah,
0: so far the North America has never produced a Gundam champ, a Gundam. Uh, builders world championship winner but if there ever was one i think it would probably be him um he's probably i would say one of the best uh gunpla builders in north america and i would i'm really looking forward to seeing what his next entry will be but um you know even if you don't want to compete on a high level of gundam customization even if all you want to do is kind of put together a kit in an afternoon and have something to look at I think this is something that if you're interested in Gundam, I highly encourage you to get involved
1: with. Like,
0: even just take a look at it. Honestly,
1: for a high grade to be $12 to $25, that seems like a totally reasonable entry point.
0: Yeah, and you can buy them at most places that sell manga. For example, when we went to Kinokuniya the other, uh, you know, I think it was like a couple weeks ago... They sell Gundam model kits. They don't sell them as much as they used to. When I used to go there, they used to have a whole section. Now it's just kind of a small thing, um, mainly because they were, uh, like you mentioned, figurines are getting really popular as opposed to model kits. But, um, you know, if you're into Gundam, give it a shot. Even just take a look at some of the kits out there. Like Best Boy Dan just Googled um, Gunpla Models, and he found one of the best Gunpla Modellers in North America Um, just take a look at some of the work that they're doing. It's really fantastic. Uh, You know, maybe even go out and pick up a high-grade kit, spend an afternoon snapping it together, and, you know, you might even end up with a fun new hobby. Um, I think it's worth a shot. Yeah. Um, so I guess kind of the final question we're going to answer about Gundam is where do you go from here?
1: Well, if it's Gunpla, probably Debt, right? Yeah. (laughs) Uh,
0: Especially if you get into some of the P. Bandai stuff. But if you're not going to go into Debt, what you should do is maybe check out some of these recommendations we've got for you. Because we've gone over a lot today. You might be wondering where to get started with Gundam or maybe, you know, if you want to pick up a new series. Uh, So we've got a couple of recommendations here for you. Now, if you've never watched a Gundam show in your whole life and you're looking to pick one up or maybe if you've only ever seen Gundam Wing on Toonami but you want to broaden your horizons, I'm going to recommend one of two shows for you. Now. If you want to watch something a little bit more on the grittier side, definitely give Iron-Blooded Orphans a chance. Best Boy Dan can attest to how easy to get into the show was, and it doesn't really come with any of the baggage of being in the main Universal Century timeline.
1: Yeah, and I think that's, from a starting point, what was really important to me is that, like, I didn't feel as though I was, like, wading into this, like, giant world. I was just getting a taste of, like, the kind of genre, what to expect from it, and, and really, really enjoyed the show. Like, I think outside of being a Gundam joint, like, if anyone were to watch the show, um regardless of the, you know, giant robots, like, it is just a good story with good characters. And for me, like, you know, I've already started talking with Best Boy Justin about this, like... It is just alone, even though it's not connected to anything else, has gotten me interested in the world of Gundam. So then my next question is, like, what do I watch after that? Yeah, and we're going to talk about that in a second.
0: But if you want to kind of get into Gundam, but with something a little less depressing... Because <laughs> Iron-Blooded Orphans can be it's, a fucking bummer. I'm not going to lie to you.
1: Yeah, yeah, no,
0: for sure. <laughs> um, but, like, if you wanted to get into something a little less of a bummer, uh, maybe give Gundam Seed a shot. So it's a solid Gundam anime that, again, it's not weighed down by the baggage of the Universal Century timeline. It doesn't have all of the gritty, hard-hitting themes that Iron-Blooded Orphan does, but it solidly hits all of the typical Gundam tropes in a modern and refreshing way. Um So this is definitely, if you don't want to go for something with something with like super gritty realism, give Gundam Seed a shot. It's kind of like a modern retelling of the original uh, Universal Century Gundam story. Um, Now, maybe you're up for a challenge and you you want to tackle the Universal Century timeline. Do you think you should go whole hog and just dive into the 1979 mobile suit Gundam? Uh, probably not (laughs) people tend to forget how 80s anime was just way different from the way it's produced these days not only visually but also in terms of storytelling techniques pacing is very different yeah 80s anime is way different it was designed
1: for a different audience um people designed with different animation styles yeah it was designed with different animation styles. it took so much longer to make things that you you see a lot more stagnant images because of that
0: yeah so you'll see a lot of recycled action shots but also it was designed for a different audience so like the audience that was consuming mobile suit gundam is completely different from the way we consume anime today um for the most part people consuming mobile suit gundam were watching a show once a week for a year they were watching. It was it was a, an investment on the scale of one year. Whereas these days, we generally only consume a show for maybe twelve to twenty four episodes.
1: Or if you're like me, you consume a year's worth of shows in less than two weeks. Yeah, also that. <laughs>
0: um, so you know, I don't recommend just going ahead and watching Mobile Suit Gundam the 1979 version. Um, but that doesn't mean that you can't get into the Universal Century timeline. Um, I recommend that, um, you know, start start off with a, a series called Gundam The Origin. Now, Gundam The Origin is a modern prequel to Mobile Suit Gundam. It came out in the mid-2000s, um, and it kind of sets up the setting for the Universal Century timeline and also lets you get some interesting background on Amuro and Char, which will let you get invested in the timeline without immediately diving into an anime that was produced 40 years ago. Um, It's got modern animation, it tells a very interesting and engaging story, um, and it sets you up perfectly for being interested in the Universal Century timeline without having to just start with the 1979 version. And once you finish that one, if you're ready to get into Mobile Suit Gundam, I recommend watching the compilation films rather than the actual anime itself. Um, Mainly because the films have updated animation They tie in some key plot holes that the story never addresses and it's more closely related to the vision of the creator and director uh, than the story, the original anime was, which was affected by the demands of the toy company that sponsored it, basically. Um, Moving on from there, if you're an old hand when it comes to Gundam, if you've seen all the major entries you've got the UC under your belt, and you want to watch something off the beaten path, my recommendation is Turn A Gundam. So it's really interesting to see this kind of unique take on the Gundam universe from the original creator of Mobile Suit Gundam, Yoshiyuki Tomino. Um, The mobile suit designs are really interesting. You can't find anything quite like it in any other Gundam show. I mean, the Turn A Gundam has a freaking mustache, for fuck's sake. Like, you can't you can't find mobile suit designs or even robot designs anywhere in or outside of the Gundam series of Gundam that are quite like this. Like um, designs aside, the story is really interesting. And even though the whole timeline is very confusing with the whole four timelines converging into one, uh, the idea of tying together these four separate universes is definitely unique and will appeal to people who have consumed Uh, you know entries into those previous timelines you'll see stuff that's familiar it'll be a nostalgia bomb for you um so i think it's it's definitely worth uh it's definitely worth your time uh if you're if you're kind of an old hand at gundam
1: yeah i think those are all great recommendations and that brings us to the end of our Gundam episode. This it, is it. We did it. it. It took a minute, but we got there. Um I hope you enjoyed having it in two parts. Um you know, we don't we know that Gundam is like a very specific thing. We hope that this will kind of like open a lot of people's eyes, you know, people like me who are maybe like afraid to dip their toes in or like kind of like put off by the enormity of of the series to, to give it a chance. Um, I will stand behind Iron-Blooded Orphans. I think that's a great place to jump into uh, if you haven't checked it out. Um,
0: yeah I mean I think Iron-Blooded Orphans even if that's the only Gundam show you ever watch is yeah, worth your time.
1: Absolutely. Um, to kind of tie things up today um we didn't want to leave the other people out who are maybe not Gundam fans um but you know we wanted to kind of keep it in the same vein so our top 10 for this week is going to be mecha animes that are not specifically Gundam. Pilots ready to connect. Let's go fishing. Get in Shinji. Iga! Autobots, roll out! Yeah, because um, there's wanna, a ton of
0: mecha-anime out
1: there. There are. Do you want to start with the first one? Because I haven't actually seen this one. I know how it ends, which is, like, super unfortunate.
0: <laughs> yeah, so the first one on our list is Code Geass, Lelouch of the Revolution. Uh, this is a an interesting show that I would say maybe has more in common with Death Note than it does with Gundam. Um, yeah, it's all about,
1: like, political intrigue and, like... Mind control. Mind, yeah. Yeah.
0: But there are also pretty cool mechs in this show. Um, I think it's definitely worth watching.
1: Um, I've only heard good things about it. And it has one of the best twist endings of all time, from what I understand. Unfortunately, I know that twist already. (laughs) Yeah, we're not going to give that away for our best
0: buds listening out there. But uh, if you haven't watched it, Code Geass, definitely give it a shot.
1: Uh, Dan why don't you take number two here number number two is absolute classic um, and that's Neon Genesis Evangelion which yes. is now all on Netflix right yeah I believe so um Strongly recommend watching it. It's, this is a classic. It's, it's a classic. classic. If you haven't seen Evangelion uh, and you're a fan of anime, like that is like kind of crucial historical like reading you got to do there. Yeah, like when people think about anime specifically as a mecha
0: genre, the show that they think about after Gundam is definitely Evangelion.
1: Yeah. The other thing I will say about it is that it is, it is a mecha show, but it is just this crazy kind of like, it's a psychological drama, psychological drama with these like kind of Christian undertone, like sort of things to it. It's, it's a wild route. Um, but yeah, very much worth checking out. Uh, I would say check out the original season. The remakes are very interesting, but until the fourth one comes out, I don't know if I can fully recommend that. Gotcha, okay. Um, I've only
0: ever seen the original, so... I'll yeah, have, to...
1: have you not watched the like
0: remakes, the... No, oh, yeah. the, the compilation films, no, I haven't seen them. Oh, I've only no, watched It's not
1: one. a compilation, it's a retelling of it. The first I, one I saw feels the first like one. a compilation, but the second one is where it starts to diverge from the original story. The third one is just a completely different story.
0: Okay, interesting. All right, um, I'll have to check those out then.
1: Yeah. Uh the third one on our list is probably the best anime we'll talk about today for the first 18 episodes. Uh, Are you implying that the
0: first 18 episodes of of Darling in the Franks is better than every Gundam show? I'll fight you.
1: I'll fight you. It's really good. Um, Unfortunately, um, things happen. Um, but I would still, I would still highly recommend Darling in the Franks. It's but good. Just, just know that you will enjoy it for 18 episodes and then it will just... Take the biggest nose dive I think I've ever seen in a show.
0: Yeah. Darling and the Franks is a show that I think everyone who watches it should go into it knowing that the ending will suck. Yes. I went into it knowing that and that kind of deadened the blow. But I feel like if I went into it cold and watched Darling and the Franks without like I didn't know what would happen, but I knew the ending was gonna suck. If I didn't know the ending was gonna suck, I would have been really disappointed. Uh, yeah, and very w- I would have
1: been angry. Yeah. Um but yeah, it, it's still worth checking out. Um, it's it's an odd show. They pilot mechs through their partner's butts. But, you know, eh, check it out. It's yeah. worth it's worth watching. Anyway,
0: speaking <laughs> of piloting mechs through your... I don't know how I'm going to transition this one. The next show is Gurren Lagann. Gurren Lagann is great. The drill that pierces the heavens. Yeah, if you've never watched Gurren Lagann, just do it. Just watch it. It's, it's from great. Trigger. It's studio Trigger. It's got all of the craziness you love. It's got like, it's very reminiscent of Kill a Kill. Um, just watch the show. It's so good. It's got the big sunglasses from the main character's friend. Oh, it's so
1: good. Yeah. Uh, next, we have The Big O. Big
0: uh, which,
1: O! Which is a classic. Um, Listen,
0: The Big O, I rewatched Big O probably like a year or two ago. Mm-hmm. And
1: it holds up so well the the soundtrack is so good it's that kind of like film noir like yeah, detective but not even just the soundtrack even the Jazzy. imagery is very
0: yeah. film noir it's very art deco style Mm -hmm. if you liked batman beyond yeah you will Uh like batman you will you will like the
1: big o yeah it has a similar feeling to it the
0: robots almost feel like renaissance era statues as Mm -hmm. opposed to like the kind of militaristic gundam mechs you get in the gundam shows and the main character is kind of this like suit wearing suave renegade yeah. detective kind of dude you've got his friend who kind of looks
1: like phoenix Wright.
0: yeah he looks like phoenix Wright. he's got this like friend who's in the military police he's voiced by the same voice actor as jet from cowboy bebop and like he's got this kind of like hard-boiled military veteran air to him this show's great i can't recommend it any high more highly than i than i am right now it's so good
1: um after Big O, we have uh, Robotech, which is, like, one of the OG, like, mecha animes. Yeah. Uh, I watched this a long time ago when it aired on Toonami. Um, I remember it having, like, a really, like, compelling love story uh-huh. as, as part of it, too. Um, but if if you really want to get into, like, the history of, like, mecha anime, like, next to Gundam, Robotech is probably the second biggest one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the next show is is a personal favorite from my childhood. This is, like, back in the day when um, when I would, like, buy DVDs from Suncoast Video and just hope they were good anime shows. Yeah. One of the shows I got was Martian Successor Nadesco. Uh, and it, it doesn't really do anything new to the genre, but if you like Max, if you like you know kind of uh geopolitical intrigue and uh it has this one actually has a really great like romance aspect to it it's a little haremy um it's just like a fun easy watch like it's it doesn't deal with anything too big but you know it's got comedy it's got romance it's got action it's it's just like a nice easy watch yeah um also Zoids. Yes. Uh, is the one. I I love so, Zoids. So there's a couple of different Zoids. The only one I know of, I think it's Chaotic Century or New Century. Um where they basically like it's a competition. Yeah, that's the one. The one, one with Liger with Zero. Yeah. yeah. This uh, is like which I have rewatched since
0: childhood and totally holds up. See, Zoids, this uh, at least the Zoids that we're talking about, um, it holds up in the way it reminds me of like what gundam g fighter wishes it could be yeah uh like if you like gundam but you wish it had more wolf robots in it (laughs) you should watch zoids zoids is just so
1: good it's great like they have this whole like fighting competition like set up but there's this bigger overarching story and like You know, you have the Liger Zero that has all these different attachments for different... Yeah. I wonder
0: which came out. Which came out first? G Gundam or or Zoids? I don't know. But, like, I feel like this... If G Gundam took more cues from this Zoids that we're talking about, would have been so much better. Because, like, yeah, like, the the whole, like, the way it had different layouts for different, like, kind of uh, uh, scenarios... The different, like,
1: models of Zoids for the bad guys were all really good. Like, Zoids was great. Yeah. Um, the second to last show we're going to mention in our top ten uh, is uh, another show from my childhood, Bubblegum Crisis Tokyo 2040. And this that is, sounds like a mobile game. It, it does. Uh, it's a little bit cheating because it technically does use mechs, but they're, like, they're suits kind of like more Iron Man style right but from what I recall this was a, a really interesting show because it kind of dealt with like Max but they weren't exactly what you thought they were initially and that kind of has broader implications I don't want to say too much without giving it away right. um but if you if you want a little bit older show uh, a little bit of like a hidden gem I think that's a, a good place to look yeah. Uh, the final episode... Strong female protagonist. Yeah. Always good.
0: Yeah. yeah. The final show on our top 10 list is Full Metal Panic. Now this one, Full Metal Panic is a little bit goofier than Gundam, but it also is kind of very much influenced by Gundam in a lot of ways. So, like you have your main character who is a child soldier, um, but he is being tasked to protect like this typical high sc- Japanese high school girl. So, like, he's kind of, like, her bodyguard in a weird way, and, like, it, it's kind of, like, it talks a little bit about, like, how he has to adapt to high school life, but also, like, there is this geopolitical intrigue story going on. You get submarines and, like, big robots fighting each other, but then also you get, like, high school hijinks, and, like, you get, like, this kind of clumsy love story between the two Um I think it's really great. I really hope they finish. Like basically, the last uh, series that they did left off on a cliffhanger, and I really hope that they bring it back because the manga is really hard to read. Um, the manga is not good. The show is good, but the I think the manga is actually kind of based on the show, which is itself based on a light novel. Mm. So like, it's hard to find the manga, and I really just kind of want them to make the anime <laughs> so I don't have to find the manga. That's fair. Uh, but the show is good. Watch the show.
1: Yeah. Uh,
0: and then we have an honorable mention for our top 10 yeah, mecha if, anime if, that if you want them,
1: If you want a mecha that's currently airing, this honorable mention is for you. Yeah. So this is 86. And the reason why it's an
0: honorable mention is because it's not done airing yet. So how could I possibly include it in the top 10? But it is really, really good. Um, the story is interesting. The mo- the mecha models are really, really unique. They have already come out with model
1: kits. They are already on the fast. market. They, they knew it was going to do well. Of course they
0: did. Um, actually, one of my favorite model builders on YouTube, Zaku Aurelius, has already put out um, some videos of him building models from 86. They have these really interesting kind of insectoid mecha models that you don't really see anywhere else. They kind of are a little reminiscent of the... Think tanks from, um, oh God, uh, what's the name of that show?
1: Standalone Complex. Ghost in the Shell? Ghost in the Shell. There we
0: go. There we go. From Ghost in the Shell Standalone Complex. They are re- reminiscent of the Tachcomas. Um, I just had a huge brain for it. Uh, but the show itself is really good. Uh, we talked about it a little bit during our Spring 2020 What to Watch episode. Uh, so if you didn't listen to that, go back and listen to it because just do it um but that that is it that rounds up the end of our um uh not only our list of 10 mecha anime that aren't gundam but also our gundam anime um so you know please let us know what you thought i hope this was really interesting for you at the very least if you haven't seen a gundam show i hope this inspired you to at least maybe think about picking one up uh, you know, let us know what you thought. Hit us up by email. We're at thebestboyspod at gmail.com or on Instagram and Twitter at bestboys underscore pod. Uh, and, Dan, I'm going to leave it to you to kind yeah. of take us away here.
1: Well, I think there's really only one thing left to say uh, at the end of a Gundam episode, and that is Shinji, getting in the robot. No. No?
0: No, Dan.
1: That's, that's... Evangelion. Oh, shit. <laughs>